Don Mockholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 85, for the week of August 18th, 2021. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com, two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, August 18th, the moon is 80% full in the evening sky. The moon will be full on Sunday, August 22nd at noon universal time. On August 20th, the moon passes just south of Saturn. Then the following night, August 21st, the moon passes south of Jupiter. This is a good week to photograph moonrise. By Tuesday, August 24th, the moon will still be bright, technically in the morning sky, but rising near the end of evening astronomical twilight. So for this week, viewing deep sky objects will be difficult due to the moon's light. On Wednesday, August 18th, Mercury and Mars will be within a fraction of a degree from each other in the evening sky. But this takes place only 16 degrees from the sun. So if you observe that, it will be in strong twilight or before the sun sets in daylight. Jupiter reaches opposition on August 19th. That is when we are between it and the sun. And Jupiter is closest to us than it is any other time of the year. It shines brightly, magnitude minus 2.88, and measures 49 arc seconds in diameter. This is a good time to view Jupiter, although this week it will be a bit difficult with the moon nearby. Over the next few months, until it disappears until the evening twilight at the end of this year, Jupiter is well-placed for both hemispheres to get a good view of it. And don't forget to look at Saturn, 15 degrees to the west. Last week was the Perseid meteor shower. It put on a pretty good show, and as discussed last week, for the next two years, the moon will interfere with the shower. But this year, two days after the peak, there was another unexpected peak on August 14th between 0600 and 1200 hours universal time. In the past years, there has been a smaller peak a couple days after the main shower, but this was much stronger than those peaks. As we know, some stars vary in brightness. One of the most notable is the star Mira, also pronounced as Myra. It's in the constellation Cetus. Mira is a red giant variable, and it varies in brightness every 332 days or every 11 months. At its faintest, it's about magnitude 10. You would need a telescope to see it. At its brightest, it's magnitude 2, easily visible to the unaided eye. 
This week, Mira is at its brightest, and it's in our morning sky, rising about midnight. Those who know the sky well will be surprised to see a bright star where there is normally none seen. Mira is identified on Podcast 85, Map 2, Morning Sky. From Thursday, August 19th through Saturday, August 21st, the Astronomical League holds their virtual convention called ALCON 21, spelled A-L-C-O-N 21. It's on both YouTube and Facebook. You can go to the Internet and register to be part of the audience for this convention. I will be talking in response to an award that I am receiving from the Astronomical League on Friday, August 20th at 3.41 p.m. Eastern Time, which is 12.41 p.m. Pacific Time or 19.41 Universal Time. That's Alcon 21, August 19th through the 21st. Carolyn Shoemaker passed away this week at the age of 92. Carolyn and her late husband, Jean Shoemaker, ran a program at Mount Palomar from 1983 through 1994 to discover comets and asteroids that might one day hit the Earth. They used the 18-inch, 0.46-meter Schmidt telescope. The comets they discover ranged in magnitude from 12 through 17. This was back before the days of large CCDs. They used photographic film for these discoveries. The team is best known for the discovery in March 1993 of periodic comet Shoemaker-Levy 9, which crashed into Jupiter in July of 1994. Initially, they worked as a team. Jean operated the telescope, and Carolyn handled the photographic film and examined the images for comets and asteroids. Their first nine comets bear only their name, Shoemaker. In time, they brought in others to help with the process, with David Levy working with them from 1990 through 1994. In all, the team found 32 comets. Technically, it was Carolyn Shoemaker who discovered the comets, since she scanned the films and was the first to notice them. Under the comet naming rules of that time, the team was allowed to choose the names for the comet based upon who was working on the project. The comet naming rules were changed in 1995. Carolyn also found asteroids, about 800 of them. Those new comet discoveries, 32 of them, that surpassed the previous record held by Pons of France, who in the early 1800s visually discovered 26 comets that bear his name. Carolyn's record of 32 photographic finds was surpassed by Robert McNaught of Australia, who has 82 named comets, found as part of the Siding Springs survey. They use photographs and then CCDs. Robert McNaught is no longer searching for comets because the funding of the project has dried up. The overall leader in comet discoveries is the Soho spacecraft with over 4,000 discoveries. 
These are mostly small, disintegrating comets, sun grazers, that amateur astronomers, citizen scientists, find on images downloaded from the satellite as it focuses on the solar vicinity. These comets do not carry the discoverers' names. They are called SOHO, followed by a number, such as SOHO 2745 or SOHO 4101. Carolyn's husband, Gene, passed away in 1996 in an automobile accident in Australia in which Carolyn was injured. I met Carolyn in November 1995 when I gave a lecture at Flagstaff about visual comet hunting, and I met her again in November of 2006 in Chico, California, where the Outdoor Planetarium at Bidwell Park was named in her honor. She was a pleasant and kind person. On my desk sits a yellow post-it with her address and phone number. My wife and I were intending to call her next month to set up a time to get together, perhaps in conjunction with a visit to the Meteor Crater or Lowell Observatory. It took some time to confirm the passing of Carolyn. I first saw it on Twitter on Saturday, August 14th, but the mainstream media had not announced it as of August 16th as I'm writing this. It was mentioned only on social media. So as not to be spreading something that may or may not be true, I tried to confirm it. I first called her phone number and got no answer. I then left a message on the Arizona Meteor Crater answering machine and have not heard back yet. Then I called Lowell Observatory, who did confirm the passing of Carolyn Shoemaker last week. Carolyn Shoemaker, her and her husband, brought to the world the necessity of searching the sky for asteroids that might one day hit us. From that effort at Palomar in 1983, sprang a host of automated sky surveys that find hundreds of asteroids each night. Thank you, Carolyn. You will be missed. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, August 18th, through Tuesday, August 24th? It depends upon where you are located. This week, we have five zones. All you need to know is your latitude. North of 42 degrees north, you will not see the ISS this week. From 20 degrees to 42 degrees north, you can see it in your morning sky for at least part of this week. For most of you, the ISS will not make its appearance until later in the week. That will be in your morning sky. Further south, from 10 degrees south to 20 degrees north, the equatorial zone. The ISS will be in your morning sky for much of the week, but not the whole week. From 38 degrees through 10 degrees south, it is in your evening sky for at least part of the week. South of 38 degrees south, the ISS is in your evening sky for the whole week. To determine where you can see it, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. Both of the comets we have been following, Comet 4P-Fay 
and Comet 15P Finlay are in our morning sky and difficult to see with the moon also in the sky. We will return to observing comets next week. Now for the astral class, galaxies. A galaxy is a collection of stars, dust, gas, clusters, and nebula. There are millions of galaxies in our sky. It was in the 1920s that galaxies were seen for what they are. Prior to that, they were grouped in with all nebula. Through a telescope, a galaxy appears as a fuzzy object, usually with some shape. In large telescopes, the nearby galaxies can reveal their globular clusters, variable stars, dark nebula, and supernova. With spectra, we can learn about the galaxy's rotation and whether they are moving towards us or away from us. Galaxies appear in groups. We live in what is known as the local group of galaxies. It consists of three big galaxies, our own Milky Way galaxy, the Andromeda galaxy, also known as M31, and the Triangulum galaxy, M33. The other galaxies including the large and small Magellanic clouds, are believed to all be dwarf galaxies. In all, our local group consists of about 80 galaxies. There are also different types of galaxies. The most common is the spiral galaxy. These have a central hub surrounded by arms of stars and dust. Then there are the elliptical galaxies, these do not show their arms and usually appear featureless. They can be round or oval. We also have barred spiral galaxies. They have a bar running through their hub and their arms come off of those bars. Then we have peculiar galaxies and dwarf galaxies. In our night sky, we see the greatest number of galaxies in parts of the sky where our own galaxy does not get in our way. So areas where we see our Milky Way is not where you will see galaxies. This week or next week after the moon gets out of the sky, go out and look at some galaxies. All those that I'm going to be discussing are in the evening sky. Three are in the northwest and two are in the northeast. They are labeled on podcast 85 map three galaxies. We begin with M94. At magnitude 8.4, it's only four arc minutes in size, and so it has a high surface brightness. We often show this at public star parties because it's easy to see in a telescope, but it doesn't have a lot of detail. It's about 14 million light years away. It's a compact galaxy with a large hub and small arms. In smaller telescopes, the arms will not be conspicuous. Next, we move over a few degrees to the spiral galaxy M63. It's magnitude 8.7, and it's 8 by 4 arc minutes in size. It's 23 million light years away. Now, on this one, the arms are more obvious. Crank up the magnification and give this one a good look. 
Our next target is M51, the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's brighter at magnitude 7.9, but it's large, 14 by 11 arc minutes in size. So it has a very low surface brightness, and it appears best under dark sky conditions. It sits about 15 million light years away. Look for detail in the arms and the bridge of material connecting M51 to the dwarf galaxy, 5195. Now we move to the northeastern sky for M31, the Andromeda Galaxy. Its magnitude 4.5 and is very large, 2.5 degrees by one-third degree. It is nearby, only 2.3 million light years away. M31 is visible to the unaided eye under most conditions. Through a telescope, look for details throughout the spiral galaxy. And it has two companions. M32, a small elliptical galaxy very close to M31, and in a small telescope you might mistake it for a star, and M110, on the other side of M31, it is diffuse. Our final target is M33. It's in Trianglium. It's magnitude 6.2 and it's large, 22 by 16 arc minutes in size. It's about the same distance away as M31. This galaxy is seen face-on, but the arms are faint and they might be difficult to discern. Next week, I will discuss astronomy programs and projects that you can do. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? The moon is bright in our sky. Sign up for the Astronomical League U2 conference beginning Thursday, August 19th. I'll be on it on August 20th. Get out and see Jupiter and the variable star Mira and see some galaxies. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 85 for August 18th, 2021. I'm Don Mockles. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockles.com. That is spelled D-O-N. M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com. Two H's. You can contact me at donthestronomer at gmail dot com. Once again, that is donthestronomer at gmail dot com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky. I'll talk about observing programs and projects that you can do, and we'll look at some comets, all that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.